0: This morning, congregation, in your Bibles, we would invite you to turn to the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 28. We'll be reading the chapter in its entirety, and then focusing uh, the words of this morning's message uh, from verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, we begin reading at verse 1. We'll read the entire chapter, but then focus our attention especially upon verses 16 through 20. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers saying, Tell them, His disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Thus far, our reading from the Word of God this morning. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, as noted in the bulletin and also as we mentioned uh, before the call to worship, uh, the Consistory has designated this Sunday uh, as a Mission Emphasis Sunday, uh, a Sunday in which we focus our attention especially upon uh, the mission mandate that is given to the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Imagine for a moment, uh, by way of introduction, some of the big events that have occurred in human history. And imagine that you had a part to play in some of those big events. Uh, boys and girls, uh, you might think of the building of uh, a national monument. Uh, you might think of some uh, enormous construction project, the construction of the Hoover Dam. Uh, or if you're from Michigan and familiar with Michigan, you might think of the construction of the, the Mackinac Bridge. Imagine if you had a part. If you could tell your your children and your grandchildren, I worked on that. I I helped build that. Now, these structures are, of course, strong. Uh, The engineers and the experts tell us that they will last for quite some time uh, as the the dam holds back the Colorado River and as the bridge spans uh, the Great Lakes, But but imagine if we could say that we had a part in something even bigger, something even greater. Imagine if we could say, for all of eternity, that by God's grace, in His providence, we had the opportunity to put our hand to a construction project that advanced the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would submit to you this morning that we have such an opportunity and that the church has such an opportunity, Uh, not to build structures out of concrete and steel, but to build a kingdom, a kingdom by the way of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, a kingdom uh, of the elect being gathered in, a kingdom of Men, women, and children who hear the glad tidings that there is salvation in and through the Lord Jesus Christ and who then come to embrace that news as the Holy Spirit works within their hearts. They come to repent and they come to believe. And the kingdom of heaven advances day by day, week by week, year by year. Uh, Our text of Scripture that we consider this morning, uh, I I believe for most of us, is a well-known passage, often referred to as The Great Commission, It records these words of the Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples, that nucleus of the apostolic church. You'll notice that these words occur after Jesus has accomplished redemption, after his death, after his burial, after his resurrection. So we might say the work of redemption has been accomplished, although there are a few steps of his exaltation that yet await. He will ascend into heaven, and even now he sits at the right hand of the Father directing the events of the universe uh, to fulfill his purposes. But Jesus commissions, and that word just has this definition, a word of instruction or command or duty given to a person or a group of people. So Jesus, as the one who has accomplished redemption, gives this command, gives this duty, gives this responsibility to his church, to the apostles. And the word apostle has this definition of one sent on a mission, especially the mission to preach the gospel. But also by way of introduction, I want to emphasize that while in the original context, these are words coming directly from Jesus Christ to the 11 disciples slash apostles, by extension, these are words of the head of the church, Jesus Christ, to the church of which we are a part And so, yes, these words first were directed to those 11 men who had been chosen to be apostles. But these words also are directed to you and to me as part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we consider this morning for our edification and encouragement, Jesus' commission of his church. We'll notice, first of all, the task in the commission, then secondly, the scope of the commission, and then thirdly, the confidence from the commission. So Jesus' commission of his church, the task, and then the scope, and then the confidence related to this commission. First of all, the task in the commission. I just simply want to say this, first of all, the church is in danger of being distracted. The church is in danger of being distracted, especially in the Western world. What should we do? There seems to be so much that we should do. Shall we, as a church, shall we, as the Christian church, shall we advocate in all sorts of activism? Uh, should, we, should we fight for a green energy? Should we fight for the reduction of a carbon footprint? Should we fight for universal health care? Or should we fight against a one payer health care system? Should we become politically involved? Should we support certain candidates or certain political parties? I would submit to you that in all of this, we are in danger of being distracted. The Lord Jesus Christ gave a very clear commission to the church as an institution. And that clear commission is a very focused task. Now, there is much that we are called to do as individual believers in our lives But as a corporate body, as a church, the proclamation of the gospel must always be first and foremost in our minds and in our attention. This is our primary mandate. And there is a note of simple focus with this mandate. The Lord Jesus Christ, after the accomplishment of redemption, before His ascension into heaven, He does not give a long list a confusing list to his church. He does not say do this and then do this and then do this and then do this. He gives them basically one task. And that task is a specific goal. Go and make disciples. Yeah, you, know, you notice it's very straightforward, even in the grammar of verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Well, this goal can be described grammatically to make disciples, or, or what we call in the study of missions, to be a self-propagating church. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be engaged in the action of making disciples by spreading geographically and numerically by the production of growth. Now this applies both within the generational lines of the covenant, of the realm of the covenant, but it also applies as we go forth in the nations. As we go, and you notice that that's a repeated instruction in Matthew 28. It's given to the women, go and tell. And now it's given to these 11 apostles, go and tell as you go throughout life. Now just in passing you notice that the church should never just huddle themselves together and say, well, let's just hunker down and, and pray that the end comes very quickly so we don't have to do anything. Well, certainly we pray that Jesus Christ returns, but in the meantime, in the time in which He uh, is in heaven, we have this instruction to go and make disciples. Well, what exactly is a disciple? A disciple is a learner who in the process of learning becomes a follower. So Jesus says to the church, go and make disciples. And again, a disciple is a learner who in the process of learning becomes a follower. And so this implies that the whole person must be addressed in the making of a disciple. Uh, The whole person must learn in, in their mind, but also in their will and in their affections, that they might come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and that they might come then knowing who Jesus Christ is and what He has done, that they might then deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. And just in passing, this also brings this uh, note of reflection. Are, are you and I disciples? Are you and I denying ourselves, taking up our cross of Christian discipleship, and following after the Lord Jesus Christ? This is the goal of the Christian church in her task to make disciples. Well, how does a person make a disciple? The work in this task, again, is very clear. Uh, Jesus is the teacher par excellence, and uh, he's very clear in his instruction. Verse 19 again, go therefore and make disciples. We might ask, well, how? Well, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. So grammatically, uh, the word baptizing and the word teaching reveal to us how a disciple is made. So first of all, baptizing them. Now this is not just some mass sprinkling of water upon human beings as they pass by, uh, uninformed and, and unchanged in the course of life. But rather when a disciple is made, when a person comes to savingly know Jesus Christ and also then to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ... when when they come to not only know who Jesus Christ is, but also know what sin is, and when they come to repent of that sin, and when they come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, they then have a relationship with Jesus Christ, a vital, saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And and that vital relationship with Jesus Christ also then includes a relationship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And, And that spiritual reality is symbolized in christian baptism and so we have here the giving of the baptism formula and so i would dare say that every single baptism that we have ever observed and has always been with this formula i baptize you in the name of the father the son and the holy ghost or the holy spirit We we don't do that just simply out of tradition. We do that in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ's command. And, And that phrase, in, has this idea of into a relationship. So disciples, Christian disciples, are made when persons are brought into a saving relationship with the triune God through the active exercise of faith. Now, certainly there you see the importance uh, of the work of the Holy Spirit. For no one can call Christ Lord except by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit uses means. Uh, And that means includes the preaching and the teaching of the gospel. And so the second aspect of the task, baptizing and teaching in obedience to the commands of Christ. Now, here we need to be careful because, of course, the Scriptures are clear that salvation is of grace... of works. Nevertheless, a Christian disciple is a person who follows after the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus says this very plainly again in another passage, John 15, verse 14. He says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Now again, we're not denying That salvation is by grace. But when grace is experienced in the life of a person, that grace includes the grace of sanctification, the grace of turning away from an old way of life and turning to a new way of life. And that new way of life includes the display of gratitude by the holiness of life. And so Jesus, again, you are my friend's if you do whatever I command you. And so the Christian church must be a preaching church, but must also be a teaching church. Proclaiming and instructing in who Jesus Christ is and in what He has done, but also then unfolding the commands of Jesus Christ, the moral implications of discipleship what it means to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. And congregation, this is going to demand all of the spiritual energy that we can muster because of the darkness, the pervasive darkness and ignorance and folly of our society. You can think of just one example in which this could be applied. We are living in what cultural commentators say is the post-sexual revolution. And all around us we see absolute defiance against the created ordinances as it relates to human sexuality. Well, who is going to instruct biblically in these matters? The world is not going to. It must be the church. And so the church must clearly explain, proclaim, and teach the moral imperatives of a new life, of a holy life, of a Christian life. So what are we to do as a Christian church? Go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. Well, if we understand in our task, the next question, well, where are we to do this? And that brings us into the scope of the commission. Uh, and, and here again, I, I marvel at how effective Jesus Christ is as a teacher, and his effectiveness, again, is, is in his simplicity. And so he very clearly instructs his church where they are to do uh, this task when he says, make disciples of all the nations. And so the description uh, of this scope is all the nations. The church is commissioned not just simply to focus on their own ethnicity the church is commissioned not just simply to focus on their own locality but rather to have a perversive pervasive spread throughout all nations and we could just also note that racism should have no place within the church Uh, We are those who understand that all men come from one Father. We understand that all mankind shares one blood, so to speak, biblically speaking. We understand that there is one Lord and one Savior, and and that in the new heaven and the new earth there will be uh, a a multitude of people made up of every tribe of every nation. And, And so we ought to have this perspective that we will go to the nations, to the nations with an indiscriminate call of the gospel. And I've often thought that this is the most liberating thing for the church. We do not have to wonder if we can bring the gospel to a certain people. You know, it's not like we have to sit in some marketing strategy and think, "Uh, can, can we bring our message to this group of people? Can we bring our message to this group of people? Think of all of the energy that is spent in in marketing and in advertising, uh, analyzing certain demographics to see if it is a suitable audience for for your product. Now, we certainly don't want to think of the gospel as a, a product in that type of way. But as a gospel minister, and we also as a church, we don't have to sit and think, well, should we preach the gospel in this area? Should we preach the gospel to these people? The answer is always yes. Well, why? Because of the Great Commission. Go into all the nations. Now, certainly we understand that providence leads in certain areas for certain congregations. We ourselves are limited in our resources, and so we, by ourselves as a local congregation, cannot bring the gospel to all of the nations. But the church... The church, considered broadly speaking, can and must go forth wherever there is a human person and preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? The reason for the scope, this universal scope of the gospel is revealed all throughout the Old Testament. You could go back and you could trace the covenant that is made with Abraham and how he, from that covenant promise, will be the father of many nations. Uh, But I've just selected uh, two Old Testament prophecies uh, and then one text from the New Testament to underscore the the idea that the church is to go to all the nations because all of the nations will come to praise our great God. You can think, first of all, uh, of Micah 4, verse 2. We've considered this recently in our evening sermon series. Micah 4, verse 2, there's this prophecy, "...many nations shall come and say..." come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Many nations will say that. From the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. People will say one to another, come let us go up to the house of the Lord that we might worship Him. You can think also of Isaiah 11, verse 9 and 10. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. And I just want to pause there and ask myself, as I ask you, do you desire fervently desire the realization of that promise, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. When the western and the eastern aspects of this universe all come to know the Lord, Jesus himself gave us this proclamation in Acts 1 verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is all based upon not just random prophecy, but based upon the universality of Christ's reign, of his session. And Soon in the Christian calendar, we'll be considering the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ and then the subsequent rule or reign. And I really believe the church needs to be reminded that Jesus Christ rules now, He reigns now, and that His reign is an absolute reign. He rules over every single aspect of every created element including the nations. Psalm 72, verses 8-11. through Speaking about Jesus Christ, He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before Him and His enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the Isles will bring presents. The king of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall down before Him. All nations shall. Shall serve him. So think of it this way. There is no spot on this globe over which Christ is not the ruler. And, and, and so the, the church can go to any spot in the world and it can ask itself this question, is Christ the king of this domain? And the answer is yes. Well, can we then preach the gospel there? Should we preach the gospel there? The answer is yes. And I think that this is wonderfully illustrated by the Apostle Paul as he goes from city to city, town to town. What does he do? And it reads so wonderfully in the book of Acts. He doesn't go and he doesn't set up again a marketing analysis and say, hmm, can we preach here? Would it be effective here? He just begins to preach. Whether it's in a synagogue, whether it's in a common meeting place, whether it's in the assembly halls of the philosophical intellectuals of the day, he just begins to preach. He has a wonderful liberating motive. Christ is king over this city. And he has people there. And so he preaches, and then as providence dictates, perhaps he stays for some length of time. Perhaps he moves on to the next city, having put things in place that others can continue the work. But you and I, we need to, I believe, rediscover the fact, whether it be Pella, whether it be another city in Iowa, whether it be on the west coast or the east coast, or whether it be outside of our nation. Christ is the King. Therefore, we ought to go forth boldly with his message, the message of the Gospel, proclaiming that he is the King and that he is a mediatorial King who has accomplished all that is necessary for sinners to be reconciled to God. And that he then issues forth this clear proclamation, repent and believe and you will be saved. But if you do not believe, then condemnation rests upon you. You can think of Psalm 2. Kiss the son lest he be angry. Submit yourself to him uh, in humility. That's the message that we ought to carry both far and also near. But we acknowledge that this is a high and a lofty calling. And, and the nations, they, they seem powerful. And the church seems weak and insignificant. And I stress that word "seems." I mean, even in our own experience now, although we are thankfully providentially quite removed from it. Uh, when you when you think of uh, Putin and his aggressive attack upon the Ukraine, when you think of the world leaders, and when you think of these nations and all of their power and all of their might, and then you look at the church, it, it would seem that the balance is in favor of the nations. And you can especially multiply this when you think of these 11 disciples who are to become apostles. Not many of them are noble. Not many of them are high and lofty in their calling. How can we go forth? The work seems to be so great, and we seem to be so insignificant. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, who always knows our weaknesses even better than we ourselves, gives a word of confidence that we consider in our third point. Uh, This, of course, we refer to uh, verse 20. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then you can tie in also what Jesus says in verse 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So the confidence that ought to motivate us to our task is the spiritual presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, no human person can promise you that they will always be with you. There are many times that we are called to part in this life, and some of those times are occasions of deep grief and sadness. But Jesus Christ, because of who He is, the eternal Son of God, with infinite power, can and does say to his church, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But he's going to ascend into heaven. So we might ask ourselves respectively, how does this work? He's going to tell his church, I am with you always, and then he's going to ascend into heaven. Well, our Heidelberg Catechism uh, is extremely helpful here. Uh, when it speaks uh, in question and answer 47. It asks this question, but isn't Christ with us until the end of the world as he promised us? It gives this answer, Christ is true man and true God. In his human nature, Christ is not now on earth, but in his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. In his divinity, that is in His divine nature and in His divine power, in His majesty and His grace and His Spirit, He is never absent from us. And you can think also of what the Lord Jesus Christ said to His early church in Matthew 18 when they were charged with the, the difficult task of the exercise of Christian discipline. He then gives this promise in Matthew 18, verse 20, For where two or three are gathered together in My name, I am there in the midst of them. So, yes, the church does face uh, a formidable foe with the ungodly nations, but she has the basis to march forward with a certain note of confidence and optimism, not based upon herself, not based upon the fact that she's so gifted, she's so talented. That we're so good at this mission work. That we're so good at evangelism. But our confidence is Jesus Christ has said that He would be with us. And that He would never leave us. J.C. Ryle, uh, the, the rather famous bishop from the 1800s, says this in Relationship. It is impossible to conceive words more comforting, strengthening, cheering, and sanctifying than these. Moses had a prayer when he was called to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And in essence, he said to the Lord, If you do not go up with me, don't send me. I'll be honest with you, there's times in which I face Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings and the pulpit with something of that prayer. Lord, if you're not going to go with me, I don't dare go. And when we consider the mission work of the church, that should be our thought also. If the Lord doesn't go with us, we don't dare go, but the Lord promises that He will go with us. that's a wonderful thing. Whether it be walking up those steps and standing behind this pulpit at 9.30 on a Sunday morning, or whether it be engaged in the work that the Lord has given us in Quito, Ecuador. And I'm sure that Reverend Landazri would echo the only confidence that we have is that the Lord Jesus Christ said, I will be with you until the end of the age. You you can think of some of the, on the horizon, the increasing signs of opposition, perhaps even persecution. To be honest, I'm not sure how many years until we'll face the charges of hate speech for teaching what Christ taught, especially in regards to human sexuality. Perhaps the days will come again uh, in, in which we'll have to actually be somewhat apprehensive about being imprisoned, fined. How are we going to continue? Based upon this promise, lo, I am with you always. And the person who says that is the person who has all authority. All authority. Jesus has it all. And so, just to conclude... Verse 17 has to come in mind when you think of Jesus saying, I am with you always. I have all authority. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him. Now this could be a whole another sermon or a whole another series of sermon, but our time is coming to an end. I just want to say this, that worship ought to produce a spirit of missions. This is our task, to go into the world and make disciples of all the nations. Why? Of course, you could say, because Jesus commanded us to. Jesus commanded us to go into the world because the Father is seeking worshipers. And if we become consumed with the glory of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then we will want many persons to worship him and how will they come to worship by being made disciples and so when we look at our level of commitment to missions there's also a correlating examination of our level of commitment to worship desiring that the nations would worship our great God, we ought to then go forth with the gospel, carrying it to the nations, that many might come to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for the simplicity of the teachings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Although they are simple teachings, we do confess that they are difficult for us to carry out because of our own weaknesses, and so we ask that You would strengthen us by your word and by your spirit, grant us uh, a focus, a clear focus uh, as a local congregation that we have this wonderful opportunity, but also this solemn responsibility to go and to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them, knowing that you are with us always, even to the end of the age, that you have all power and authority and might. So hear our prayer for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ and motivate us for the work of missions. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.